This is VLX number 85, the weed and the mustard seed. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 32. God give you his peace. In nome Patris et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nome Patris et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Just two quick thanks to some of my donors. If you look over my shoulder, you see that flag of the Sacred Heart, and then you also can see the Holy Face. It's very important with everything going on in the world that we see the face of Christ and adore it and make reparation. So thank you to the uh, family that sent me that flag and the family from Ireland that sent the Holy Face. I may have some information on how you can get one of those. They put a lot of work into the replication of that. Another quick announcement. You know, since I'm so bad at emails, I have to say that anyone who has my cell can text me prayer requests or short spiritual direction questions anytime. But please realize that's why I make these videos and this blog, to reach as many people as possible with very common questions on current events, and most importantly, how to pray. You know, that's the best thing a spiritual director can give you, is how to pray. And that's why I make this, not because I think I'm that great at teaching this stuff, but if I am called to do anything as a priest, it's to teach you how to pray. And this is just the way I can teach the most amount of people how to pray. And then also, sometimes I can fit those uh, texted prayer requests into Holy Mass, and sometimes I can't. Um, But I can always fit those into Divine Office. And then finally, I do ask married women to include their husbands in all threads. As I said before, not due to any past impropriety on their part or my part, but just to live beyond reproach and keep things short. Um, You know, I was trying to think back maybe 20, 25 years ago to me in college. What could have kept me on the narrow path of following Christ a lot better? And I realized there was just so many things going through my mind. And I tried to do so many things and meet so many people and travel so many places that if I had actually slowed down and just done 15 minutes of mental prayer... I would have committed a lot less sins in in college than what I did. And so I really do just want to repeat that the very most important thing you can do, I believe, to follow Christ and avoid sin is 15 minutes of mental prayer a day. So even if you don't follow the series or want to stop with this series, please do mental prayer. Now, let me give you a little bit of a summary today on the first parable because, unfortunately, I just had two announcements, so you may have forgotten. So let me give you the summary there. Notice that the farmer today had a field sown by his workers, and that that seed was actually so good it was described in, in the Greek as kalin. Kalin in Greek means beautiful in addition to good. Now, but at night, here's what happens. An enemy came and sowed in a bunch of weeds. 
What's interesting is that the farm workers, they notice it first and then they ask their, you know, owner, the major domer, the, the farmer himself, they ask about this mix, like was there a mix of seed use or something basically? But the farmer, it's interesting, immediately he knew it was an enemy who sowed weeds in there. He knew it wasn't him or the workers. Now the word there for how the weeds were sown, it's the same verb in the ESV, but the Dewey Rhymes Bible, it's interesting, that's closer to both the Greek and the Latin because the Dewey Rhymes uses a different word and it is a different word in Greek and Latin. The Dewey Rhymes uses the word oversown. We won't look at the Greek and Latin because we have a lot to cover today. But it's quite a visual, really, right there, that God sows his seed in the soil, and then Satan comes and he's oversown something quite different, the bad seed. Now, ecclesiology is the theology of the church. And I, I usually don't talk ecclesiology on this series because I try to build up your personal, individual faith in Christ on this VLX series, Video Lex Divina. But the field today is an analogy for the church. So we have a lot to learn from how God himself teaches ecclesiology today. So we do need to talk about this, even in the history of the past 500 years. The first comes from Protestantism. You know, Protestants believe in an invisible community of believers. It kind of goes like this. You're a real Christian if you really believe, and then you're a fake Christian if you're a hypocrite. Okay, now there's nothing actually too bad about that, except today's parable is a message about the church that the weeds and the wheat grow up together. They're going to spring up in the same place. And this is very much the ecclesiology of the Catholic Church. The fact that there's good priests and there's bad priests. Um, you know, 100 years ago, you had the mafia building churches and sweet old ladies who were in sanctifying grace building churches right next to each other. 2,000 years ago, you have an apostle named Judas and you have an apostle named John. And they're both made apostles. They're in the same location, literally the same location at the Last Supper. So the Catholic view of ecclesiology is exactly what we see in today's parable. It's proven, sorry to say that to any Protestants, but it's really proven in today's parable that we don't know who the real Christians are, even in the Catholic Church. One, why is that? One, because we can't judge hearts. And two, because it's right there in the parable. The farmer purposefully, the farmer purposefully leaves the weeds and the wheat until the end. Now, why does he do this? First of all, St. Augustine says that God allows the weeds around the wheat to, to do one of two things. One, either convert themselves, going from weeds to wheat, or two, the weeds exercise the wheat. And that's exercise with an E, not an O. So in other words, the bad Christians kind of annoy or torment the good Christians to increase the latter's glory in heaven, while the former will go to hell. Um, and then secondly, we're going to talk about hell in a minute, the other reason God allows this um, is that so both aren't uprooted at the same time. There's actually a single verb in the Greek there for uprooted. Uprooted together. God does not want them to be uprooted together, at least not during the time of growing. Now, I know, of course, we have our suggestions to God on ecclesiology. We And I'm, I'm the first here that would say, hey, we would like all these bad apples in the hierarchy just to leave. But they stick around apparently until the end, and then they go to hell. How do we know they go to hell? How do we know these weeds go to hell? Because it's right there in the parable. And later we're going to see Jesus explain that the reapers are literally the angels. That's actually Christ's own interpretation. And what do these reaping angels do? Well, they have to wait until either the end of time or the end of the individual life of each weed and wheat stalk. And then what happens? Well, first, the weeds are thrown into the oven. Then the grains of wheat are put by the angels into the barn, or apotheken. Apotheken in Greek 
Also means granary. I like that translation a lot more, a lot more granary. In English, that's spelled G-R-A-N-A-R-Y. So again, Protestants do not believe in a visible church hierarchy, whether it's really good or bad. They might have pastors and leaders, but ultimately they say it won't affect their personal belief. And secondly, Protestants, they hold that the Catholic um, hierarchy has been so corrupt for so long that the true community is those who've truly believed in Jesus Christ in their heart. Now, personally, in all transparency, I have a little bit of an attraction myself to how those Protestants have such a less messy ecclesiology, especially as we look currently at, at all these outrageous doctrinal and moral scandals in the current Catholic Church hierarchy today. Now, where it's true that a heretic in the Catholic Church holding an official office like pope, bishop, or priest immediately loses his office, not the actual stamp on his soul, like a, a bad priest who goes to hell, still is a priest there, but... I believe it's St. Robert Bellman who does say a heretic does lose his office. But here's the thing. Bad moral decisions do not remove you from your office. So in other words, here's what I'm trying to say with all this. I wish we could just say bad bishops aren't real bishops. But we can't. Why? Because the parable today shows us that God could, listen closely, God could clear his visible church of so much corruption today, like immediately. But listen to how God himself chooses to wait until the end to shake everything out. This is directly from the Bible today where the workers, the workers say, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn, end quote. And that word my is truly in the Greek. So look at that. Let both grow together. That explains the Catholic Church's teaching that we have a visible hierarchy. Sometimes it's made of wheat and sometimes it's made of weeds. But it's the angel's, do- it's the angel's job to sort it out at the end of time, not my job. And those angels are going to throw those weeds straight into the oven where they will burn forever without dying. And if you think this is just me kind of grinding my own personal acts and my priesthood. Listen to Lapide. Symbolically, he says on page 21, St. Jerome and St. Augustine in question 11 on Matthew, quote, understand this sleeping to mean negligence and carelessness on the part of the bishops and pastors of the church, end quote. Again, understand this sleeping, he's talking about the sleeping of the farmers, to mean negligence and carelessness on the part of the bishops and the pastors of the church. Okay, so notice back when Augustine said that, the worst he could come up with was these sleeping farmers to be the bishops. Could he ever imagine a time when we'd unfortunately have to say the bishops were actually the weeds? Well, that's the whole point of the book Infiltration by Dr. Taylor Marshall, the historical infiltration of what was supposed to be the best wheat becoming infiltrated by weeds. But here's the thing, and I know Dr. Taylor Marshall would agree with me on this, it's still God's church, just as we see in the parable today just with a much higher price for everyone involved now to have this level of infiltration of weeds choking out good wheat. But it's going to make strong wheat, as St. Augustine said. Now check this out. I was going to leave the next parable of the mustard seed until next time. But while reading Lapide, I came across this astonishing link from St. John Chrysostom between the weeds and the mustard seed parable. You see, I thought these were two totally different parables. St. John Chrysostom links those for this. And I, I never knew there was a connection, but listen closely. He says, quote, 
because the Lord had said that of the seed, three parts perish and one is preserved. And again, of that which is preserved, there is great loss on account of the cockle or weeds, which is sown over it, lest people should say, who then and how many will believe he removes this fear by the parable of the grain of mustard seed, end quote. Now, I realize that translation is a little bit antiquated, so I'm going to try to shake that out for you here. What St. John Chrysostom is essentially saying is, yeah, the infiltration of the church is going to do a lot of damage to innocent believers, just as the Pharisees turn many ears away from Christ by their false accusations and their false doctrine. However, God still, despite all this, he needs so little of a mustard seed to make so many converts across the globe. Isn't that beautiful? That despite the weeds that are spread among the wheat, the mustard seed is the tiniest of all, and that is going to be able to make 2 billion Christians on the planet. So let's, let's listen to that mustard proverb again before we see what all the church fathers say. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, you know, growing up in a Protestant country, I had taken that mustard seed to be my individual faith. But we're going to see from the earliest Christians what they taught, that they understood this mustard seed to be first Christ himself, secondly, the church, Thirdly, the saints and apostles. And fourthly, what I had thought it was, the average faith of an individual Christian like you or me. So let's see what some of the uh, church fathers teach about this mustard seed. St. Hilary understands it to be Christ himself. He says, The Lord compares himself to a grain of mustard seed, which is very sharp and the least of all seeds, and whose virtue and power increased by bruising and pressure. After this grain has been sown in the field, that is, when he was apprehended by the people and delivered to death, and his body was buried as though in a field by a sort of sowing, it grew above the measure of all herbs, that is, he exceeded the glory of all the prophets. For the preaching of the prophets was given to Israel like an herb to a man who is sick, but now in the branches of the tree, lifted above the ground on high, the birds of the air dwell. By these we understand the apostles, lifted up, by the power of Christ, and they overshadow the world with their branches. To them the Gentiles flew for the hope of life, and when they are vexed with whirlwinds, that is the blast of the devil, they rest as in the branches of a tree. End quote. Now, Father Lapide does point out a question 500 or 400 years ago that we might have as we listen to this today. He says, You will say, How can Christ be called the kingdom of heaven when he is not the kingdom but its king? That's actually a very good question, right? The response is, just as a king is, so to speak, the head in a kingdom, so in turn a kingdom is as the body of the king its head. Therefore, a king represents the whole state or kingdom. Hence, according to the rule of Tychonius, often in scripture, what belongs to the church, which is the kingdom of Christ, is attributed to Christ and vice versa. So notice, this refers to Christ and the church, not just our individual faith. Father Lapide continues, More plainly and aptly, the kingdom of heaven and the grain of mustard seed are the church, especially the primitive church. Thus say St. John Chrysostom, St. Augustine claims that it stands for faith, or rather the gospel and the evangelical doctrine, as St. Jerome, St. Ambrose, 
St. Bede and others assert, although all these things amount to almost the same thing. The church or her doctrine is compared first to the seed being sown, second to the mustard seed, third to yeast, fourth to a treasure hidden in heaven, fifth to a precious pearl, sixth to a dragnet cast into the sea. She is called the kingdom of heaven because by her God reigns in us and leads us to his kingdom in heaven. So notice we're going to talk about the church being all of those things in the future, those, those different parables. The church is like a seed, it's like a mustard seed, it's like yeast, it's like a treasure hidden in a field, it's like a precious pearl, and it's like a dragnet cast into the sea. We're going to talk about those later. And again, as I, as I admitted earlier, I always found these parables to be very boring, but that's only because they were explained to me so poorly. Now, Father Labide says, Why is the gospel compared to a grain of mustard seed? I answer, the first reason is that Christ, by this parable, intends to signify the immense power and fruitfulness and propagation of evangelical preaching for what had a very small beginning with Christ and by a few apostles diffused itself over the whole world. So notice why this is linked, as I said, to the weeds and the wheat. We get so depressed as we see the weeds choking out the wheat in the church, but we have to remember God needs such a tiny mustard seed for the apostles to spread his doctrine, his doctrine of life, love, and truth over the entire globe. There's a billion Catholics on the planet right now. And then a little bit later, uh, we have this. And notice that the saints are the actual branches. Uh, again, this is very foreign to our Protestant mind and seeing the, this tree grow up. Um, but this is how the early Christians saw it. All the early Christians saw it, the church fathers. Some understand by the birds as the angels because they have wings and are very swift. But here's St. Augustine in sermon number three on the saints. Peter is a branch. Paul is a branch. Blessed Lawrence, whose birthday into heaven we are celebrating, is a branch. All the apostles and martyrs of the Savior are branches. And if anyone will bravely lay hold of, bravely lay hold of them, they will escape being drowned in the waves of the world. He who dwells under their shadow shall not feel the fire of hell, and shall be secure from the storm of the devil's tempest and from being burnt up in the day of judgment. Notice that St. Augustine, who many Protestants like, that is St. Augustine describing the saints as those branches. Now, this is a beautiful meditation. Listen to what the mustard, listen to what happens, has to happen to a mustard seed. I did hold mustard seeds in my hand when I was in the Holy Land, and I was shocked how tiny they were. They're essentially, uh, like if you take a a ground pepper and put it in your hands. Each tiny little grain of ground pepper is the same size as a mustard seed. But I didn't know this next part. Father Lapide says, Mustard seed must be crushed, for when it is crushed, it emits its igneous force and flavor. So too the preaching of the apostle was, as it were, crushed by a thousand oppressions and persecutions which the apostle suffered, and then it breathed forth its igneous force and strength. So notice how maybe, this is just me, not the fathers here, maybe we could even tie this to the weeds saying um, that that is precisely why in this time of church infiltration, God is making his wheat so strong as many good Catholics have to fight through a thousand different doctrines being taught by a thousand different bishops and through all their study, it's making a very purified Catholic faith among those returning to tradition. Father Lapide continues, Mustard seed, as Pliny says, is sharp and biting. It draws tears, purges away phlegm and cerebral secretions and facilitates excretions. It is chewed for toothache. When ground up with vinegar, it is applied to the stings of scorpions and the bites of snakes. It is an antidote to the poison of fungi. It is most useful against stomach illnesses. It is beneficial for the breast and lungs. It is useful against epilepsy, dropsy, asthma, lethargy, baldness, psoriasis, kidney stones, and many other diseases. Thus the gospel expels poisons, that is, sins, by the emetic of confession. It is sharp and biting. 
because it teaches penance and the cross. It excites the tears of compunction. It is medicine for all the faculties of the soul. And especially it dries up concupiscence, expels vices, and animates to virtue. Quote, the bitterness of its words is the medicine of souls, end quote, says St. Augustine. So notice that the bitterness of its words is the medicine of souls. Very, very far stretch from the health and wealth gospel. But it is also beautiful. Father Lapide says, mustard seed by its sharpness seasons food and renders it palatable. So also the gospel renders palatable everything which is hard and difficult by means of the example of Christ and by the hope of future glory which it promises. A little bit later, thus too the Christian faith at first sight appears small, worthless, and frail, not manifesting its power, not carrying any semblance of pride nor conferring grace. But as soon as it begins to be bruised by diverse temptations, immediately manifests its vigor, indicates its sharpness, breathes the warmth of belief in the Lord, and is possessed with so great ardor of divine fire that both itself is hot, and it compels those who participate to be fervent also. As the two disciples said in the Holy Gospel when the Lord spoke with them after his passion, Did not our hearts burn within us by the way, while the Lord Jesus opened to us the scriptures? A grain of mustard, then, warms the inward members of our bodies, but the power of faith burns up the sins of our hearts. And then finally, just to bring us right back to the saints, and especially to martyrdom, St. Augustine ties the burning of the mustard seed and the smallness, the unknownness of the mustard seed to the martyrs, and he especially ties this to one early Roman martyr, St. Lawrence. I think St. Augustine said this on his feast day. He says, We may compare the holy martyr Lawrence to a grain of mustard seed, for he, being bruised by various sufferings, merited to become fragrant throughout the whole world by the grace of his martyrdom. He, when he was in the body, was humble, unknown, and held in low estimation. But after he had been bruised, torn, and burnt, he diffused the odor of his nobleness in the churches throughout the world. Rightly, therefore, is this comparison coupled with him. For Lawrence, when he suffers, is inflamed. The heat of being ground down moves the one. The other breathes forth fire in his manifold tri- tribulations. Mustard, I say, is cooked in a small vessel. Lawrence is roasted on the gridiron by the fiery flame. Blessed Lawrence the martyr was burnt outwardly by the flames of the raging tyrant, but he was inflamed inwardly by the far greater fire of the love of Christ. Let me say that last line again. It's so beautiful. Blessed Lawrence the martyr was burnt outwardly by the flames of the raging tyrant, but he was inflamed inwardly by the far greater fire of the love of Christ. And then one more word thing for you here on today's um, section. Father Lapidus says, The Arabians have a proverb, A grain of pepper is more powerful than many large gourds. Because if it be bruised, it emits a fiery force. A believer, therefore, says Father Lapidus, should be a grain of pepper or mustard and breathe everywhere and upon all a divine fire. And so pepper all men and make them like himself, zealous, that is, and ardent in the love of God. So notice right there that even as the weeds have infiltrated the wheat, that little bit of a tortured tiny seed becomes enough to inflame thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. Okay, and then how about the imaginative way of prayer here? Here's what I might suggest for the imaginative way of prayer. I would suggest you talk to Christ really about how you see the whole state of the world. Now, personally, I complain to him that it seems that all the leaders of the church and every state globally in the world, not just the United States, 
have collapsed to Marxism. But we still must thank God that he has placed us in such times because he saw that we would be strong enough in his eternity to keep the apostolic faith. Now, look, even if you don't agree with my politics on Marxism and blah, 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 I still think anyone listening to this pod can thank Christ for letting you prove your love to him when so many people around you do not. Doesn't mean you're special, doesn't mean you're headed to heaven, but if you're trying to study the scriptures, you have some love for Christ. So in this, remember in the imaginative way, even St. Ignatius and St. Teresa of Avila tell us we should talk to Jesus. Remind Jesus also of your past mortal sins. Remind Christ of your past mortal sins so you don't grow proud in this. And then, most importantly, renew your love of him by renewing some acts of perfect contrition. Perfect contrition is telling Jesus you're sorry for past sins, not because of hell, but because of his love for you and now your love for him. That's what perfect contrition is. Now, of course, we do not know when Jesus returns in glory on the last day, the final judgment. But I've been meditating a lot on Apocalypse chapter 3, verse 11, Apocalypse 3, 11, where Christ himself says this, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Now look, here's the fact. We will see Jesus face to face in our judgment in the next hundred years, whether that's our particular judgment, that is when we die, or final judgment at the end of all time. Either way, that's going to be in the next hundred years, unless you're like a three-year-old listening to this and you live to be um, 105, and then it's going to be 102 years even for you. But either way, you can take those words literally. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. You will see Jesus face to face in judgment in the next hundred years, but in mental prayer you can see him face to face in love before that day of judgment. Now, kids can do this too, you know, just talk to Jesus about what makes you sad and ask Jesus if that also makes him sad and then ask Jesus how you can live in a way that makes Jesus happy. Yeah, really, just sit with Jesus. Maybe picture him on the end of your bed as you sit on your bed yourself and tell him what makes you sad and find what makes Jesus happy, and then resolve to do that. Resolve to please Jesus with that mustard seed of faith that can move mountains. And thank him, kids, for giving you the true faith. Please say an Our Father for me. Et benedictio Deum et Patris et Spiritus Sancti, descendet super vos et maniat semper. Amen.